I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is not a diving podcast with Scuba. Welcome to the show. I'm Scuba. This is the Not A Diving podcast. Right. Thanks to everyone who joined us for a dance last Friday night at Venue MOT in London. What a fun night that was. I am back here in the studio in Mallorca, nursing a little bit of a sore head. But, you know, that's okay. (laughs) That's right. That's why we're doing hot flush shows, right? To have fun, to have a party and um, have a couple of drinks which is all good, all good. Yeah, really fun. Glad to see some of you down there. It was, it was great, really, really great. So yeah, thank you. And there's more Hot Flush 20 shows to come, more to be announced as well. I'm going to be announcing some in North America, I think, quite soon. Anyway, yeah, more to be, more to be announced and more to come. Right, okay, okay. This week on the show, we have none other than Alan Fitzpatrick, a titan of techno. We haven't covered techno too much recently on the show. So great to have Al on. He has released on Hot Flush as well as other labels, including Drum Code. He's one of the big drum code names from when that label was really establishing itself in the way that it has done. And we talk about that quite a lot, in fact, on the show today. His own label, We Are The Brave, which has released some massive tunes, including the big one, We Shall Remain Nameless. We talk about that as well in the conversation. And Al's just a great guy and, a, you know, one of the good guys of the scene, basically, and a great DJ and just, you know, just an awesome person, essentially. So, yeah, great to have him on. Before we get into it, if you want to support the show financially, then we have an opportunity for you to do so. In fact, well, it's an ongoing opportunity, and that is Patreon, patreon.com slash scuba official. There are two tiers, both of them extremely reasonably priced. The more expensive one gets you on the Hot Flush promo list, meaning you get all the music on Hot Flush up front, and other stuff too, including bonus podcasts, which you get on the regular feed, the regular tier, and just lots of you know cool stuff. In addition to access to the private area of our Discord server, hotflushrecordings.com slash Discord. You can get into that even if you're not a patron, but there is a private area of that, which we do stuff like remix projects. We've got a remix project thing going on, regular remix projects. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's just a nice community. So we would like to see you there. Please join. Please join. Follow the Spotify playlist. There's a link in the show notes to that playlist. And I've already mentioned the Discord. Hotflushrecorders.com slash Discord to get into that Discord server. Right, I'm going to shut up and get into the conversation. Without further delay, here is Alan Fitzpatrick. Alan Fitzpatrick, welcome to the show. How are you doing, sir? I am very well, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm all right, thanks. I've actually just been... Uh, charging around all day and it's nice to finally sit down with a with a drink and, and relax 
So um, hopefully this is going to yield some some good podcast results. What's been going on with you? I well, the last two days, I um, apologies to all listeners, but yeah, I've been in bed with food poisoning, mate. So I've been basically sat on a bucket with my head in the toilet. <laughs> It's been horrific. Nightmare. But um, I'm coming out the other side of it now, so I'm all right now. I'm back on the rich tea biscuits, so I'm getting there. Okay, well, that's good. So, okay, I had a question to to start off with, and um, it's just a really general question, actually. Um, We've talked a lot on the show about the changing tides of techno, and I've been listening to your forthcoming release. I think it's forthcoming, the the one that's coming up, the one the promo's out at the moment, of... Um, your, your yes, new one. comes out. It comes out um, on tomorrow. The the tenth. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and it's it's a real. It's prop like quote unquote proper techno, right? Uh, what I would consider to be proper techno, and definitely not this <laughs> kind of new stuff. Um, tell me what you think about techno at the moment, at a general level. What's going on in techno, and what's happening? Um, yeah, I mean, this is a very kind of hot topic but i think at the moment um everyone seems to have be sort of lashing the bollocks out of it a little bit and and the kind of <laughs> i don't know why everything suddenly got so fast and mental um but i guess everything goes around in circles um but for me the kind of you know the sort of what you would call traditional or proper techno or kind of you know the, the sort of techno that i grew up on or the techno that I'm into is definitely a little bit more few and far between I think you've got to really look for it um because it is I think it is quite diluted at the moment with this kind of harder faster approach and everyone trying to I can play harder and faster than you and you know all this kind of um BPM war um it's a bit it's a bit nuts um obviously BPM's changed quite a lot. We went through that whole minimal stage when everything dropped down to, you know, below the kind of one two five mark, and when when the kind of whole minus minimal stuff was bubbling up, and then it started to creep back up again, and, and now it's sort of gone to where you can almost play jungle and techno in the same set. It's like the BPMs are almost up there. It's nuts, but um, I guess I don't know. I mean, maybe it's because all the is it because all the kids that during kind of lockdown had nothing to do and they've, they've now entered clubs at this kind of level of 18 and they and that's the sort of music you want? And it's, it's a mad one. I mean, when I was younger, I was obviously into hardcore rave, jungle, breakbeat, drum and bass and, and happy hardcore and kind of the, the, the London techno, acid techno sound of like the Liberators and the Stay Up Forever crew and Dave the Drummer and all that stuff. And it was really fast then. But this stuff's even faster, you know. This stuff you're pitching that stuff up now, um, so it's yeah, it's, it's 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 mad. Yeah. So, like the the follow up question I was going to ask was, I mean, how much how much pressure do you feel? I mean, like as a producer, but I think mostly as a DJ. Like when you turn up at a rave to play, I mean, when <laughs> if the previous DJ is like like chugging along at one five oh, I mean, how much pressure is there? to to go along with that and to and you know i mean how difficult is it to you know fight against it if that's what you want to do yeah i think you've got sort of two um two angles especially as a kind of seasoned dj that's been playing to people for kind of near on 20 years you you turn up and if the geezer before you's as you say like one four five one fifty and it's one in the morning 
and you're thinking, well, there's seven hours left in the, the event. Like, what? Where am I going to go here? Like, cheers. But I mean, you, you've, you've got two options. You can you either sort of bring it down and just try and do your thing, or you try and compete. And the difficulty with sometimes trying to compete is. You, you, one, you're not comfortable playing at that speed or you don't necessarily want to be playing that sort of music or your sort of journey that you're going to take people on is 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 already hindered by the fact that you've started in a very different kind of ballpark than where you wanted to get to, maybe. Um, but you've also, I guess, got to consider the fact that, you know, coming on after someone that's playing super fast or, um, you know, a lot more heavier than, than you expect, the, the crowd are already charged to a degree, if you know what I mean. So... Um, it's, it's very hard to sort of drop down and do something different um, without getting a little bit of a scratched head kind of look on, on people's faces when you've kind of got their beat, their heart rates are going nuts and then you've kind of dropped it down a little bit. But I think, I mean, educated clubbers will just appreciate you, you doing your thing, really. I, I do tend to find that if I do have to approach these sort of sets where I've had to come on after someone that's playing a lot harder and faster than that I would. I, I generally start with quite a long intro and try and kind of bring, bring it down a little bit to a degree so that I can then... I mean, look, I'm not saying that sometimes I don't slam it and I can get up to these faster BPMs, but I'd like to get there of my own accord as opposed to having to start off at that kind of level. Um, and, it, and it really depends in the setting. If, if, if it's a festival or something where you might only have an hour or so, then fair enough, just crack on with it. But, you know, I quite enjoy my longer sets and... To, to be able to go on a bit more of a journey is, is, is a bit more fulfilling for me. Um, but yeah, I do, to go back to the pressure point, I do feel a lot of pressure with it all. I mean, I think everyone does that's been in the game for a long time because there's a lot of new faces. There's a lot of people that, you know, a little while ago, we, we didn't know a lot, who a lot of these people were and you're always going to get new faces. And then when you're kind of, you start to question, is are people into what you're doing so much anymore? and Or, or is it just a... A fact of you know trying to trying to compete, making music that's more faster BPM or more this and more that, or do you just stay in your lane, do your thing, and hope that people appreciate it? You know, um, I think the, the the danger of trying to copy, not copy, but you know, trying to kind of compete, is then you fall into that trap of you're, you're just part you're, you're you're part of the cycle. You're not helping it go anywhere else. If you just go, okay, we're all playing at one forty, one fifty. Plus, I'll start churning my tunes out and whatever at that speed. It doesn't really help the problem. I think you've got to try and be somewhere in the middle, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like, I mean, there's a couple of things that I was thinking as you were saying that. I mean, first of all, uh, you mentioned festivals. And I think that, well, it's certainly, it seems to be a sort of piece of received wisdom now that because festivals have become such a big part of the circuit, that the kind of festival mentality has taken over a little bit. And I think maybe this kind of approach is part of that. I, mean, I don't think it's the whole thing, but maybe it's part of it. Like you're having that mentality of just going as hard and as fast as you can without any, you know, <laughs> without any um, paying attention to like the context of, of the night, you know, whatever, of the context of the entire experience. I mean, that's one thing. But then also... Um, you know, just as someone who's, as you said, like been doing it for, well, been through a few cycles, I suppose, because, you know, as you said, like these things do go round in circles to an extent, right? And it, once you've kind of seen this happen, you know, before, well, I was going to say it's easy to kind of like think, oh, I can just wait it out. But it's 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 not always easy, is it? Because uh, yeah, as you were saying, like you have voices in the back of your mind telling you that maybe 
you know, maybe maybe time's up for you, right? Yeah, it's it's never easy. It's never easy to wait. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, I think a lot of people get those those thoughts where they start to think, you know, cool, crikey, is that is that my, is that me done? Then everyone everyone's gone this way now or that way, but um, yeah. And with, with the whole festival stuff, I think you're right that festivals are much much more prevalent now than they have ever been. I think, especially in in, in my career or in anyone that's in the same kind of generation as me. You used to get a few festivals a year. You get the big ones and a couple of the others. And now there's so many festivals that um, I think even punters um, get to a point where they're saving to go to a particular festival that it stops them going clubbing for a few weeks, few months, or whatever. Um, and the kind of experience of going to a nightclub or going to an after-hours club or doing these sort of things is is a lot less now. Um, and the sort of progression of nights and the progression of DJs and the progression of a mood is a little bit diluted with this kind of smash and grab mentality. Um, I think the worst thing with it all is, you know, some people might moan me for saying this, but the worst thing of it all is some of this, some of this stuff. A lot of it's kind of regurgitated old tracks because you know, it's new to whatever you know. And someone playing an old track to a new audience is a new track. You know, it does, it's, but the people that have been there a long time will know that certain tracks are old tracks, but they're not always the the good ones. They're the they're the they're the ones that <laughs> they're the crap ones. Do you know what I mean? They're the ones that you listen back and you think. You're like, what? Why are you playing that? Like that was never good. It's not good now. It wasn't good then, um, and it's. I find that weird. You know, I think if if somebody digs out a gem and they drop a bomb and and it's and it's a track that everyone back in the day would be like, yeah, that was a tune. Not when people go, why the fuck is he playing that again? No one wanted to hear that ten years ago when it came out. You know what I mean? It's 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 tough, but um, yeah, I think you get those you you get those cycles. Yeah. So. Like, just just going back to festivals, because I mean, you're very much of a kind of circuit DJ. You're really, really busy, and you're you're doing the whole thing going as hard as you can. That's my perception of your your schedule, anyway. Well, is that true? But how much of how much of your diary is festivals now, and how how has that changed maybe over the last five years? Because obviously the pandemic, which is a bit of a weird one, but the trend is predates that for sure. So how has that changed? Yeah, I think um, I, I I definitely see. Um, festivals in especially in the summer playing a large part of the diary um and even to the point where you're playing like multiple festivals in a in a day or a weekend um you know you take somewhere like the netherlands for example or when you're in mainland europe and you can you can play a dutch festival a, a belgian festival a french festival and uh i don't know for argument's sake a festival in germany all within the same weekend sometimes two of those shows might be on the two or three of those can be on the same day um it's it's pretty mental i mean i do i try and do a little bit less of that now I try and space my diary out a little bit more to give myself a bit more breathing space you know i'm not i'm i'm very much more on the waters when i'm playing now i'm not i'm not as as at it as i used to be i mean now i'll have my moments of course but um you know um touring heavily and um you know, dealing with kind of flights and schedules and everything else is much more easier when you're not hanging. Um, so I do do try and pick pick that a bit better. But yeah, certainly diary wise, as you say, I mean, I, 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 it's it's a very large part of my of my summer calendar for sure. It it, it really does dominate, um, and there are a lot less club shows to to the point where now, um, I I don't remember as a kid. 
um, or even as a young DJ, or even really in my early 20s, um, I, I don't really remember the phrase festival season, where you hear it all the time now. Everyone says festival season. It's a thing, you know? It's like, oh, festival season's coming up. Who's looking forward to festival season? There's like fucking videos and stuff that like brands post all the time, whether it's kind of, I don't know, for, for argument's sake, defected or this or whatever, and Ibiza and all this sort of stuff. Talk about festival season. Well, that 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 terminology didn't exist when I was when I was younger. It was just like there was a few festivals you might go to. Do you know what I mean? Glasgow, Creamfields, Homelands, some of these events you might you might go and do. You know, um, Boomtown or whatever. But there was never really coined festival season. Whereas now, like that that's the summer is now in rebranded festival season, and, and everyone's diaries are busy with festival stuff. But I mean, that's just an, an indication of how much it's kind of taken over. Um, the, the the sort of music scene in in that regard really. Um, you're also get you're also getting smaller smaller festivals popping up. They don't even have to be big festivals nowadays. It's like smaller ones popping up and doing really well. Have you found that with this trend and um, with your diary, is planning a DJ set a bit of an afterthought now? Because if you if you're stepping up to a to play a festival. And I absolutely know this because I've been there. Like, you know, if you've got an hour, an hour and a half or whatever, the pressure is to smash it. You have to smash it. You know, it's, it's a valuable show. You want to get asked back next year. You need to do the business. And so you draw for the big tunes, right? But, you know, planning a, a long club set, it takes time and it takes effort. It takes thought, you know, and absolutely requires a, a lot more than just pulling out for the big one. So, like, have you found that that has become something that you do less and less? Like that sort of like detail planning of and, and digging for tunes and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, um, it, the two are very different approaches, um, and sometimes frustratingly so. Um, Got to be honest, I, 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 as a DJ, all, all I ever really want to do is is push fresh and exciting, and dare I say it, weird music. Do you know what I mean? I want to push stuff that I think is interesting. And that if people are going to listen to that and be like, well, that's mental. You know, you can't do that a lot anymore because people's people have got 15 second um, kind of attention spans now. So trying to do something inventive, something creative or just something out there. Um, and when I say out there, I mean like, you know, years ago when I used to go to like Bergheim, when I was Bergheim resident in like 2012 or whatever it was, and I you know, turn up there and you're playing four or six hours and it, it, I'd be kind of going through my music weeks before finding stuff that I want to test and stuff that I just want to hear on that system, stuff that may work, may not work. Uh, it didn't really matter because if you in in an environment like that, when you're playing stuff that you you might feel doesn't work, the people are appreciative enough that you're giving them fresh new music and and trying stuff out. And and when you find these bits that do click and these sets that tend to sort of take their own. Um, creativity and become this like journey of music for a period of hours they 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 they're much different now to doing a festival set where you're picking out 15 absolute belters that you know are going to go off that you might have played 12 times that month because you've been on, on those sort of sets um so then you know it's very it's very different approach but i think luckily for me um because I've got the We Are The Brave radio show that we do weekly and I, I, I make sure I give myself some studio mixes on that uh, each month, I get the ability to kind of do a bit of digging and play some different stuff 
on my sort of radio show than I, I would sometimes get to playing clubs. I, I do tend to find that on the radio, I have a lot more freedom because I'm just in my in my studio at home picking tunes and, and having a mix and, and, and those sort of records a lot of the time people aren't hearing in my DJ sets because I'm free enough to do it in my own environment and, and and just put it out there but there's a lot of stuff that I will play on my radio show that if I, I, I don't generally play when I'm playing out because I'm like well that might not work or well, that might not do this that, that track doesn't drop until six minutes in or whatever do you know what I mean it's like there's, there's stuff that you, you, you feel a little bit self-conscious to, to play but um, you know, I, I think that's probably always been there to a degree as well with, with, with across the scene. But I do think, um, you know, with with this kind of mentality of like going and playing all the big hitters, basically, it's it's also compounded by the fact that people want these videos. You know, everyone's on this social media circuit of I need to get a sick video of this going off. So make sure that you know when I'm when I'm dropping this track, fire the CO2, get everyone going mental, post the video, make it look nuts, and yeah, wicked, that'll get me a load of likes and follows. Ultimately, that's bollocks. Like, who gives a fuck about that? But sadly, it's stuff that people need now, do you know what I mean? And I think that also plays into the fact that no one wants to play this kind of, you know, set-building, kind of interesting, exciting, fresh-sounding stuff. They want to play the track that's got the big drop that everyone goes mental for because they get a lot more out of it than um, everyone just sort of head nodding and thinking, oh, this is quite a good tune. Do you know what I mean? It's it's, it's a weird one. I mean, absolutely. But you know, <laughs> I'm just like, I'm scratching my head, right? Because I, obviously I know why this happens, right? Because social media has just become such a ubiquitous part of everything. And, you know, gaining a following is as much to do with your socials now as, as what you do at shows, I think. I certainly it's, as important you know it's up there but where does i mean where does this end right i've i've had this conversation a few times and asked this question a few times you know with the kind of declining as you said declining attention spans and and the fact that this stuff needs to be packaged in ever kind of shorter time frames do we get to a point where there's a reaction against it and if so like <laughs> when can that happen please oh mate honestly i think that that is that is like the the golden question that i think i think everyone eventually will get, get gets to that as well i don't i don't think it's sort of something that happens to kind of younger clubbers or younger people into the scene because ultimately when you're young and f- f- young free single whatever you 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 daft you, you want to do you're invisible uh, it's sorry invincible you you want to kind of have fun and the kind of get up and go attitude is, is, is pretty rife but I think everyone at some point wants there to be some sort of pushback in it to get back to a bit more um as you say like it's, it's not it's not even like the way it was it's just back to kind of you know appreciating things for, for what they are and, and not being so throw away on stuff and having this short attention span and, and everything else because I just think we're missing out on so much cool stuff um so many things fly under the radar because we're not giving things enough time and not giving things enough love. And it's, it's a very tough one. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, I will be fucking first in line for when that changes to be like, yeah, wicked, okay. You know, and I think there'll be a lot of other people that'll be the same. Yeah, absolutely. So just before we started, and the, the hour before we started this conversation, I was listening to your album of 2021, which is not a techno album at all. And it's great, I have to say, it's, it's really good. I hadn't listened to it before. I was really into it. 
And do you think that making a quote-unquote lockdown album, right? That's, that's I was a, lots of people did that, and lots of people felt able to explore sides of their musical, I guess, potential that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise done, and certainly wouldn't have done in that kind of a big project. I mean, that may or may not be applicable to you, but that's certainly the case for a lot of people. So that's an example of of a kind of, I guess, an external shock which produces that kind of, you know, what could seem to be a kind of positive outcome, right? Getting away from that, or just feeling able to get away from that whole thing. I mean, I, tell me a little bit about how that album came together and like was it well, as I've just described it was like a I've got nothing to do in the studio I'm just going to do this thing that I've wanted to do for ages T- tell me about it yeah very much so I mean it was I mean anyone that can listen to that album um, will know that that is not club focus at all um, it is very much a, uh, a a listening album and a, and, a, and a sort of artistic expression of feeling around a, a kind of period of time um, and it was. It's pretty much on the nail on the head from what you described. It, it, it was. It was. It was having time at home, time in the studio, and time to kind of write music for for the purpose of writing music, as opposed to writing music for the purpose of playing that music out. If that makes sense. Um, I just wanted to kind of do something that was representative of that period of kind of weird uncertainty, no one knowing what was happening, and. Um, a sort of timestamp on kind of the ability to be able to do that sort of album. I don't think in my career I will get to maybe do that type of thing again. I mean, who knows? But certainly not pre-COVID. That that, that wasn't an option. Um, and I think some of the things that came together on that album wouldn't have happened if everyone else wasn't in the same situation, you know? Um getting to work with Kelly from Block Party. Um, we've done a few tracks, actually. That's just the only one we've we've, we've put out was one on the album. Um, doing stuff with Link, High Contrast, work, working with Caitlin from Another Sky and, and, and some of these people on the album that just wouldn't have happened if um, we were all bang at it touring and kind of, you know, if Block Party were touring and, you know, Link was playing his, his High Contrast shows and whatever else, it'd have been these are the sort of conversations you have in green rooms or backstage and it's like yeah we should do something at some point and you never do it's like when you see that mate you have not seen for ages and you say let's go and have lunch you're never gonna have lunch with the dude you know what i mean it's like it's one of them so to get the ability to actually get these people to say yeah cool okay i've got loads of time let's let's do something was was quite refreshing and and and, and, and music was getting made um and there was no pressure for me to feel um, like in the past I might have done some music like that and been like well I can, I can never really play this out I can't really test it it's not going to even fit in my DJ sets I mean my taste is very eclectic I, I mean I like music from you know whether it's country music right through to, to Motown to a cheesy 80s start anything from the 80s anything synth wave anything dance music generally I've got a soft spot for a lot of stuff but obviously my craft is a techno DJ and, and, my, and, and making techno music so um making something that's a bit more kind of left field was always a little bit risky because I was like, I can't really fit this in. So I don't know how I can shout about it myself if I'm not even playing it and I'm not even supporting it. But getting to do an album like that when you've got that ability and people people's attention generally was a bit more, um, you know, less diluted because they had nothing to do either. So it was quite a good time to kind of present that to people and people could sit and listen to it. Like... I always used to find as well that like certainly putting an album out like Machine Therapy when I released that I was 
really, really conscious of all the PR I was doing around it. I was saying to people, please listen to the album. Don't just pick through tracks. Try and, if you can, try and listen through the album and and, and let it do its job in terms of the, the kind of the listening experience as opposed to like, Oh yeah, that track's by so and so. He's a big artist. I listen to that one. I listen to that one. I jump back because then you, you you kind of lose that. You lose all the in between uh, chain links that kind of bring. I mean, that you're up back together. back in that mentality, right? Yeah, yeah. Back in that big tune mentality. Yeah, yeah. Then, so so it was really kind of making people want to kind of just listen through it and it spend an hour of fifty eight minutes or whatever it was, maybe even less of your life, sit and listen to it. You know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I presume that it was made remotely like passing stems around for various different people and yeah the only person i um the only person i got together with was lawrence uh lawrence hart um during during one of the allowed out periods i think i went to london and we, we we'd done some stuff um on warning signs and stuff together um so, but everything else was yeah, bouncing stems around and um, sort of tracking vocals here and there, and you know, chopping things together, which was another kind of. I, I mean, sometimes you collaborate like that anyway. Generally, if it's a case of timing or not not being able to kind of get together um, due to different parts of the world or whatever. But yeah, most of that album was put together remotely by by sending things back and forth. Um, I was, it's quite gutting, really, because some of that album was actually mastered at Abbey Road. Um, a few of the tracks on there were, were, were mastered at Abbey Road, and, and I, I wasn't allowed to go to the mastering sessions because I wasn't allowed. Oh, no. I wasn't allowed in the studio. <laughs> so you know, I'd spent this money, and, and, and you know, I'd, I'd like you know in, enlisted some of these really cool, great engineers, like Studio One at Abbey Road, where the Beatles recorded and stuff. I, I had warning signs. Um, uh, mastered there and I couldn't be in the room I just basically had to I could do a video link but I was like that's torture just send me the track when it's done you know I'll, I'll know that it's been done there but I couldn't even go and that, like, that's sad really do you know what I mean but that's just part of the part and parcel of what was going on in the world at the time but yeah absolutely there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Um, so I mean yeah you, you mentioned that you felt like or you, you feel like maybe you wouldn't be able to do something like that again I mean was I mean like the, the kind of barriers to doing it were primarily what well, just feeling like you have to go out and do the circuit like what's the I mean like I mean I, I know from my own experience that you have a kind of there's a kind of psychological thing there where you just feel like you have to be doing stuff and particularly with the DJ circuit it rewards doing more 
and like there's a kind of conveyor belt mentality to it even if you can fit in some you know a serious kind of musical mentality to that like i mean do, do you think you'd ever w- without having that kind of pandemic thing for like in enforcing the time to be able to do anything do you think you'd ever be able to get to that position where you think well i'm just going to take six months off from what i'm doing and make make sort of a, a follow-up or something similar you know a similar kind of left turn yeah i mean i think i, I think i would have got there eventually um i i think um the main thing in terms of anxiety and kind of i guess mental health uh situation that comes up with me with regards to the dj and stuff and everything else it is is that um the, the sort of ne- the nature of feeling even if it's subconsciously feeling not you need to compete and be around and doing stuff that is keeping you working and keeping you doing your thing and um you know and, and finding time to sort of pull away from that to just be creative can sometimes be very difficult um you know, some, sometimes it can just be for the most basic reason of I've got bills and mortgage and a family to pay for. Do you know what I mean? I need to be working. I have to be working, and um, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not financially comfortable at a stage yet where I could just go. Yeah, I'm just going to go fishing every week, and I might do a few gigs here and there, and you know that sound. At some point, that will be amazing. But I'm not there yet. I've still got a fucking big mortgage, and I've got stuff I need to pay for. So I need to work long and short. Um, so. The, the, there's there's that there's that aspect of of making sure you, you you you're you're busy in terms of being comfortable and being able to kind of maintain just your your way of living or whatever, uh, and also the fact that like I, I guess the pressure of social media, the pressure of the scene, and the pressure of this short attention span, and the development of different artists, different sounds, and different scenes, and different waves of musical circles that we've been talking about the harder faster stuff the the need to kind of still be relevant in amongst all of that because um at some point if nobody's listening to my music for whatever reason or nobody's interested in what i'm doing or my music's not reaching the people i want it to reach by the fact that i've either you know taken time off and made stuff made stuff that people um not that they're not interested in but they're not even getting access to because it's not in their uh, kind of line of vision, then the people that the people I'm making music for aren't even getting to hear it. So it's a very very tough um, hamster wheel to be on and off of, you know. And when you're on it, it is fast and it is non-stop and it is go 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 to the point where you sit in this mad bubble of not really knowing anything outside of the realms of what you're doing, you know. Um, you know, um, I, I made a conscious decision during lockdown to, I don't really follow anyone. I mean, I I didn't mean to offend anyone, but anyone that listens to this that's known me for years and anyone else, I unfollowed nearly everyone. Um, and the only reason I unfollowed everyone is because I thought, I'm, I'm not seeing anything from you guys anyway, because it's uh, this algorithm's just punting me kind of the stuff I'm obviously looking at regularly, which generally isn't music stuff. If for me, it's kind of cars or fish and stuff or cooking recipes or some sort of other shit that I look at online that generally isn't kind of... I don't need to watch another DJ play a track that's going off. Do you know what I mean? I don't I don't need to do that. I'm never going to sit and go, 
oh wow, so and so's just had a mad reaction to a tune that I've also got. It, it, it's pointless, do you know what I mean? So I, I kind of unfollowed everyone for my own kind of peace of mind of being like, I don't necessarily need to see all that sort of stuff. But I also found that it was helping me not feel that need to compete and have to do the same kind of things all the time and that feeling of oh shit I've taken this Friday off and everyone else looks like they're playing I should have worked do you know what I mean like you don't need to do that you need to just it, but it, it's a hard game isn't it I don't think it's for everyone I do think it plays on your mind all the time and it's it's really interesting what you say about um having that sort of like motivating aspect of competition but also how that can be quite sort of oppressive as well you know I mean like certainly from my own perspective I found over the years probably more so when I was sort of coming up that measuring myself directly against other people like was really useful in terms of motivating myself and getting that kind of competitive instinct going and thinking yeah you know I so and so has done that I I can you know <laughs> I can do better than that or whatever which is not the most positive way of, of motivating yourself but can be really effective right but then what you went on to say about, you know, how how it can generate anxiety, like really resonated as well. And that's something which for me came a bit later on. So what was your experience there? Like when dealing with the kind of the pressure of expectation, I guess, is something which is kind of inevitable. And any kind of success will lead to that, right? Because I mean, you know, nothing lasts forever, everything's finite. So yeah, tell me a little bit about those two things, like the competition and kind of anxiety. Yeah, I mean, the, the competition thing, I think, is naturally always going to be there. I mean, I'm, a, I'm a fairly competitive person anyway, but I also think, you know, we're, we're all we're all performers and we're all kind of, um, to some degree, we're all fighting for attention. Um, not always. Some people are fighting for it for the wrong reasons than others. I mean, I, I, I generally think if you're in this kind of world they call show business or whatever and you're performing in front of people and you want your music heard, you want people to see what you're doing and you ultimately want the music you're making to reach as many people as possible. So that competitiveness is, I think, is always going to be there. Um, and it's probably healthy to a degree um, as long as you can kind of maintain that and, and, and you know not be a sort of arrogant arsehole to people. And, and they're, 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 those people exist, don't get me wrong, but I, I try and approach every... Every person I meet in the in the industry and and, and with, with respect and we're all doing the same sort of thing at the end of the day and ultimately as much as it's fun and it's a crazy job it is a job you know it is it is something you're getting paid to do and it's providing you with your income for for your life um so so we're always going to be competitive in that sense but the anxiety stuff is is something very different I think the anxiety stuff is um is the toughest one um. I, I think we all struggle with it. Some people don't talk about it. Some people do. I've always been quite open with all my stuff. Um, I don't think it's any point kind of bottling it up. If I, I, especially during the lockdown stuff, I was pretty open and chatting to to people online and, and, and putting posts up about stuff to try and see if I could help other people that were maybe feeling the same. Um, but this this anxiety and this feeling of um, kind of you know whether you're still relevant or, or competing for stuff is, is always a tough one and it's a still something now I'm on a journey to try and get better at dealing with you know um just uh, and what, what I mean by that anxiety as well is like if I take two or three weeks off for, for whatever reason if I want to you know get in the studio or go and take myself out for my own holiday or, or do something um if you're another reason why I sort of unfollowed a lot of people because if you're if you're spending that time off 
um, you know, with your feed showing you videos of everyone else playing and everyone doing this and someone releasing this track and you know, someone at this club, someone at that club, this festival, etc., etc. You spend your time off thinking oh, I should be at work or stressing out that you're not at work or that you've got some sort of FOMO and missing out on stuff. Um, when in the reality is you're not at all. That's that's the whole purpose of social media, you know. I mean, someone would get jealous if they're looking at someone on a sunbed in fucking the Maldives while they're sat in a warehouse packing meat or whatever. Do you know what I mean? It's the same concept, like that FOMO mentality. But I think it's it's more so in the uh, kind of music industry because you feel like you're you, you should be there, you should be playing, and oh no, maybe that means you're. Yeah, your profile is going to dip because you're not in anyone's kind of eye line for whatever reason, and, and ultimately all of that is just mind games in your own head that actually doesn't mean anything. Um, I've tried to now try and t- teach myself that as long as I'm happy and as long as I'm doing the things f- like for for me and I'm comfortable with my decisions, then 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 that's what I'll do, you know. And if I if my career for whatever reason if my career ends slightly shorter than someone else's then so be it if it goes on longer than another person's so be it but I think to sort of compare and to feel like that you always need to be there is 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 that workaholic like syndrome you don't you don't need to be doing that you know um and and at some point and at some point whether you whether it's through health or whether it's through age or whether it's just through the love of doing it at some point when that starts to deteriorate or to come to an end if you look back and you think life sort of passed me by because I've just been smashing this job in or doing this thing for so long that I, you know, the time that I've now got to myself is quite limited because I've just been focusing so much on one thing. Um, it is, that's not ideal. Do you know what I mean? You've got to somehow get some, some, some balance with it all. And it's not easy, man. I mean, I, I, I probably speak for a lot of people. It's the constant thing of what's going on all the time. I'm in a little weird period with it all at the moment. I mean, I've, 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 I take January off. I've, I had a few, had a few shows in, in February and India tour and stuff. And, you know, I'm sort of slowly getting back into, into sort of touring a bit more now, but, um, you know, you start to think, oh, maybe because I'm not playing so hard, I'm not playing so fast, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that, I'm, I'm not getting shows. And it might just be that, no, it's not that, it's just because you took some time off. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, but you start you start to question everything. And, and even even you start to question the stuff that is probably quite a sensible um, yeah, reasoning. You know what I mean? You start to kind of second guess everything. But we all do it. We all do it. And we can, we've, we've all been there. Yeah, totally. And as, as I mentioned before, like I think the... Like the nature of the DJ circuit is that you're rewarded for doing more, right? Visibility really pays. And I mean, there's there's various different temp poles that are, you know, go around the calendar that you've got to be at or like you've got to be at a certain number of them, whether it's like Sonar or ADE or like, you know, with, you know Music Week in Miami or whatever. <clears throat> and there's just things that you kind of, as I said, like you've got to be at a certain number of those things. If it's not everyone, you've kind of got to do it. And it, it really is like, I mean, it's, it's a very small world in, in some ways. Like you, you get to know everyone quite quickly and you realise, you know, as you said, like, yeah, everyone's the same. And, and, and it's true because everyone's going through the same thing. And it's like, I guess there's a kind of trade-off between trying to maintain your, your position in this world, also trying to do the music stuff that you always wanted to do anyway, and then just keeping your head together because it is a head fuck. It totally is a head fuck, right? 
and it's difficult. It's certainly it, difficult. It, right? ne- it never sort of stops. And I think you're right. Like there's people feel the need to be at all those events, and 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 you know, rightly so for some people. But I think, and, and no one wants to be the guy that people go. Oh shit! Yeah, I remember him. I've not seen him play for ages. <laughs> like you feel, oh, okay. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it, uh, but but there's nothing bad in that. There's nothing bad in that. And that, like, there's there's a lot of people that you that you, you can see play that you might think oh, I haven't seen you for a long time, like on on the circuit or whatever. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you've not been busy or not been this. Just means your paths might not have crossed. But yeah, I think um, that that whole kind of I need to be here, need to be there, got to do all of these. Yeah, you, you the sonars, your ADs, and stuff. I need need to be have some some presence there. And if you have a period where you're for whatever reason for a year or two you're not at these places, you can start to do your own editing. A bit of a mindfuck, as you say. But it, I think in the grand scheme of things, it, it doesn't matter too much. But it's something we all put on ourselves as DJs. Um, and I, 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 also, you put it on yourself because of what's coming up. Um, kind of the path behind you, as it, as it were. Like you've got all these aspiring DJs and producers that want to be playing at those events and they're almost are kind of really envious that we are at those events. Um, and so part of the reason of why you also want to be playing at these events and doing all this stuff is because you know that, you know, uh, there's other people that want to be in your position. So kind of make the most of it while you can, but make the most of it while you can doesn't necessarily mean work to work the arse of it and, and, and burn yourself out completely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I was going to ask about how you got into stuff in the first place. I mean, it's really interesting that you just bring up the point about how many people are aspiring DJs now and how many more there are now. Certainly that's my uh, recollection of, of getting started, which is you know, probably around the same sort of time. Like There was just nowhere near this kind of what seems like a sort of frenzy. And I think it seems like much more of a career to kids now yeah i mean the mad thing with that career aspect is i even my my nipper is uh, is 12 and i was invited into his Sue's year eight um i was invited into his school for a career thing the other week to talk about djing and the music industry and um it was the weirdest thing right because i'm sat in this school hall you can imagine it's like the normal careers thing you all remember from school secondary school right you walk into <laughs> really the, hall, <laughs> the nhs from one corner the navy are over there the fucking um, fire brigade are there the police are there there's a bank I mean it was HSBC or something and there's all the, and then there's me sat there with like a few records and stuff talking about music it, uh, and I, I enjoyed it because I thought to myself when I was at school there was no creative arts um, for, it was like you you got to be a sparky a plumber join the army uh, get an apprenticeship be a mechanic uh, blah 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 it was like these sort of like traditional jobs go into financial services get an apprenticeship get an mvq or go to do this and that there was no like this is how you get into film school this is how you get into acting this is how you want to become a sound tech this is how you want to progress into becoming a dj or a producer or a uh whatever you know that, that didn't exist um or if it did it was very much who you knew to get into that industry you might have had to become a t-boy at a radio station and start networking that way or whatever so it's quite interesting to get to be called in, but that just shows now that from a young age how much like the career of DJing is actually looked as as a career now, as opposed to just like you know my mum and dad's mates would always say years ago, oh so uh, should you take your own stuff on that, you know, would you play the dog and duck on the Saturday night as well, and you know because yeah. that's because they they thought my, my you know they thought and still probably to a degree people think DJing is 
you're going and playing at a wedding or you're going to go and do some shouts at the quiz night and play some tunes down the local. Like they don't know that it's this multi-million dollar industry where you could be playing to 30, 40,000 people. Um, so, you know, I think the fact that kind of kids see it as a career now, almost in the same light as people see like acting, footballing, footballing, sorry, football players and sports people and, I mean, even influencing, sadly, is now seen as some sort of career, which is mad. But, you know, it's a different time, isn't it? You know what I mean? But it does show that, you know, when when you're invited into school to talk to year eight pupils about getting into music, then something's switched somewhere where they think this is actually something bigger than we ever thought it was, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I've got to ask, like, what, what did they, what did the kids say to you? Well, I'm presuming they were asking questions and stuff. What was the, what was going on? Yeah, to a degree. I mean, obviously... A lot of it, so it's weird because they just go, "Oh, you're famous! Oh, you've got um, <laughs> however many songs on Spotify, and you know, oh, you that is that your face on that record?" And it's it's kind of a, it's still a bit naive, but it's kind of funny, it's kind of cute, it's exciting. From the the best thing is, I I kind of came away with I I made this kind of um, I did a lot of stuff of the nighttime industries um, during the the lockdown stuff about obviously supporting nightlife and the economy and anything else, um, and I I. I got this printout sheet with a list of all the different roles within music so not just being a dj but you could be a um you know right right down from kind of working in a nightclub or working in in the back in the sound or the lighting or the tech side of it or a booking agent or a pr agent you know all these different things probably a list of about 100 different roles um and it was quite interesting even teachers were quite interested to be like oh i didn't realize how many people make the kind of wheel go around within music um so that was quite interesting to see that there was lots of different uh, like kind of angles and the kids were asking about that quite a lot um and generally i i think i got away with it to a degree because they weren't asking too too detailed questions about the kind of touring life and the performance life because they're all still very they're, they're all still very young so they're not quite in they're not in clubs yet i think if i had a, if i did that career thing and it was to kind of year 10 year 11 15 16 year olds the questions might have been a bit more different in terms of the, the sort of party aspect of it or the kind of being out and playing in nightclubs and this and that but yeah they were a bit more interested in the kind of uh, what 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 did i do at school and what what gcses did i take to get me into music and stuff like that so it's quite interesting you know they, they were a good bunch yeah yeah it's funny, isn't it? Because I mean, I nearly did. I mean, I, I did music A level and stuff like that. But I mean, I nearly did a higher ed like sound engineering. Yeah, I, I was thinking about doing the degree actually, and then there was a various other things I did. I, I was thinking about doing, and I ended up doing nothing at all, <laughs> and still managed to do okay, right? Well, same with me. I, I um, that's the thing. I, I um, I didn't do. I didn't do very well at school. I got like two C's. I think I got. Uh, art and French and they were the only two they were the easiest subjects and a lot of the time at school I, I you know it was like a, just a normal boisterous kid you know I was you know just bunking off and doing all the shit you do when you're a kid and, and not not spending as much attention on the, the subjects that that matter and uh, being a dad now I, I obviously try and tell my two that they need to do as best as they can because that's the advice you should give your kids you know try hard and you get rewarded um but yeah, I, I, when I left school, I um, I went to college and I did a, um, a music tech course. I think it was a B-Tech diploma. Um, but I dropped out of that after about eight months. Um, once I 
I went to Digital Village and I bought a PC and basic sort of studio set up. So I had like a small mixing desk and monitors, uh, PC and, and I think I had Cubase and Reason at the time. Um, and in conjunction with using that in the college lessons, um, three days a week and using it at home, started getting to a point where I could just get by and make some tunes, albeit probably if you listen to them now, they would have been awful. But like I started to know what I was doing in terms of building tracks, making loops, sound design, working out what an LFO does or what a filter does and this sort of stuff, you know. So uh, I think it was eight or ten months into that course, I dropped out um, because I got a record signed in 2002 on Toolbox Records uh, under the name Test Tube Babies. And it was a track called Feel the Friction, a hard house track. 2002, that, that vinyl come out. I think mean, I was 19. Hard 18, house, 19. eh? Wow. And when I got that vinyl... I'll probably, probably play that now. Yeah. <laughs> I know, that's the thing. Well, you still, you hear it all now. I mean, not, you know... I mean, like we we had the bravery put out BK Revolution 20th anniversary, and I remember that when that came yeah, out yeah, when yeah. I was a kid. You know, it's, and it's it's the hard house track, but now it gets hammered. But as I say, when, when I got that test press in my hand, I was like, okay, bin the college course off. I'm just going to write tunes every day. I don't need to do the course. I've got a record signed. I'm obviously good enough. It's out there. And uh, whether or not whether I was good enough or not is is obviously much to be desired. But in my head, my 18, 19 year old head, I was like, to all my mates. Yeah, I've got a record out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm a producer. So what? Do you know what I mean? And, uh, like, you know, it's like I've got skills. Do you know what I mean? It, it was, and, and but 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 that basically was the reason why. So I, I have no musical qualification at all. I can't play piano. Um, I can um, get by on a guitar. I can do bits and bobs, but it's all self-taught. It's all self-taught, and it's probably taught the wrong way. Like if a pianist watched me play melodies, they would be like. What you what you, you no no, but that's how that's how I do it. You know they're like your thumb can't press that key. That's for your first, second, and third finger, and like, whatever. You know I I I I've got a twenty year career now of making music that way, so I'm sticking with it. It works for me. And yes, if I've played a key wrong, I can press stop, erase, <laughs> and play it correctly, which is fine. Um, but you know some of the best guitarists in the world, with the best solos in the world, Leonard Skinner or whatever. You know that they those guys. That the track that you hear that you listen to, they've played that twenty thousand times into the fucking computer before they've bounced it out and gone, yeah, that's that's the one. Do you know what I mean? We've all done it, so I don't think there's any shame in that. But yeah, to go back to the point, I, I'm not musically trained. I dropped out of college, but I fumbled through with my own ego, thinking I was good enough to do it. And I think just from repetition and doing it so many times, and you're always learning, aren't you? I still sit at the computer now and try something and be like oh, i wish i knew that 10 years ago that have made that track a wicked you know different thing in that track there's so many times now where i know i do stuff or even with technology that develops and you're like oh, i wish you could do that then i wish you could do that then and you know it's always changing so we're always learning but yeah i wasn't i wasn't educated in music it just it, it just fell upon me by it being the only thing i enjoyed the only thing i had a passion for um and and i think that's another thing that I sort of said to the kids. I was like, you've got to try hard in all your lessons and try hard in all the sort of stuff you're doing and always have a secondary option because personally, from, I can only speak from my own experience, I was like, everyone wants to be a musician to a, to a point. Everyone wants to be a, a DJ, a producer. And very few become that. So putting all your eggs into that basket and to do that with no other backup is quite dangerous because you tend to find that even the most successful people have done something else in 
conjunction with music to a, to to kind of feed that habit and become professional in music they would have had a job that they would have been holding down for however long until they could afford to do music full time you know what i mean um so that that was my advice to them it was like kind of try and yeah if if your passion is music then crack on with it but but have a have a plan b because if it doesn't work and you haven't got a plan b then you, you you're done yeah for sure so my original question was going to be how did you get into this in the first place i mean like you've, you've touched on it there a little bit but i mean how did you know that you wanted to make hard house tunes <laughs> well I, I think i was going to i was going to slinky all the time in, in the opera house in bournemouth um oh, i had a fake right. I, okay. I had a fake id i had a fake id of my friends and back in the day we used to be able to send off one at the back of maxim or whatever it was and you, you'd get the fake ids um fhm or whatever it was i can't remember but you used to be able to send off and get these nowadays you can't do that i think i had a fake N- nus card as well or something but um, and I used to get into clubs at 15 years old, uh, going, most of my friends were 16. I'm, I'm born in July. So, um, when everyone left school at 16, I just turned 16 sort of thing. So when I was first clubbing, it was in my, I was 15, um, and was spending a lot of time going down on the coach to Bournemouth and going to the, the opera house. Um, one so, room. Sorry, what year are we in here? We are in 99, 2000. 90, between 98 and 2000 was, um, yeah, when I started going out to clubs or squat raves, illegal raves, and kind of stuff around your local area that you could find. Um, was there a certain kind of music that you were into, or was it just, I want to go to raves? Um, I was pretty much a sponge for everything, but it was a combination of the heyday of trance so the kind of 99 2000 trance era um which produced some of the best best trance stuff i think you know that uh, as well as all the hard house kind of tony de v tidy tracks all that sort of vibe i was playing a lot of that um and also the sort of london acid techno stuff uh, from the liberators and uh, dave the drummer and sterling moss and uh that those sort of guys uh and that was still blended with kind of uh drum and bass jungle hardcore and kind of happy hardcore stuff it's all of that stuff was like a, i was going to events with all of that kind of music really um before before i was actually in the clubs so sort of i was in the clubs at sort of 15 uh, 16 years old but just before that a couple of years before on my kind of walkman at school would all be like helter skelter one nation uh fantasia dreamscape uh tape packs that i'd listen to at, at school so i was listening to like mixes from like everyone for lsd uh mickey finn slip matt andy c seduction blah, blah blah all these kind of people that i was listening to in my headphones and listening to the kind of live mixes so you hear in the crowd the whistles the mcs and getting to go to clubs myself um by the time i got into clubs it was more that kind of trance hard house sounding stuff but still um, with drum and bass the second room in Slinky was the Coco Shabine which was all the uh, Fabio and Groove Rider hosting stuff and so I was kind of hear, hearing everything then uh, what was different about the late 90s early 2000s when I was clubbing is the kind of cross genre vibe in clubs it wasn't so much like it is now where it's either brands so you're either, you're either a defective party an Row party a whatever party and it's kind of the, all the music is to a degree in the same ballpark um, when I was going out you could see 
Carl Cox and then Lisa Lashes would be on after and then after that would be Judge Jules or whatever. And it was very much all over the place. Like And then, you know, fin- finishing the night might be Jeff Mills. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of all over the place. So you, it, it was very much a sort of start-stop different styles, which I was really buzzing off because when I was buying records as a kid, I was like HMV, free for tenor, kind of buying what I could afford. And sometimes it's just because you like the look of the cover and you get home and you'd be like, oh shit, this is a totally different style. But it's, that was good. You were, you, you were kind of <laughs> yeah. like you were kind of like open to all different styles, and I think that's I've carried that on through my entire music career and be able to kind of chop and change through stuff and listen to different things. But yeah, nowadays you don't generally see that. And um, obviously festivals have got the different stages for stuff. But yeah, you'd never see. Oh, you're never going to see Ben Clock followed by Fabio and Groove Rider in a club. I, I mean, you wouldn't see that. It just wouldn't exist. Yeah, sure. Um, sure. But, it, but in the late... Let me, let me ask you... Sorry, let me interrupt you there. I um, just wanted to ask you about Slinky. Is it, it the Opera House was the club? Is that what, is yeah, that, is that what you said? Opera House, yeah. Tell me about what that was like as a venue. Amazing, yeah. Really kind of ornate theatre kind of vibe. You'd walk in and everything was big drapes. So you, you'd, 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 you'd get past the bouncers, if you could. If not, you'd try again half hour later with a different top on or whatever. But you'd get in eventually. <laughs> I actually got in once by carrying a crate of water and said that I was working there when I put a high-vis on and walked in walked in with a crate of water on my shoulder and was like, yeah, I'm going to drop this off. And they were like, what? I was like, mate, I've got to drop this off. Like, blah, blah, blah. And then he said, get through. Through the high-vis in the bin, drop the waters and bosh straight in on the dance floor. Wicked. Yeah, I've done that sort of stuff to get into places before. But um, yeah, you get in and then you had this kind of big draped curtains. You open the curtains and then you just see the lights, lasers and smoke. And obviously you've got this kind of central staircase that goes up and then pans around the the, the whole dance floor, which is almost like um, if you've ever been to a theatre, stalls and the whatever it's called, the thing at the top. I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, yeah. But that's what it kind of looked like. Yeah, the balcony. Yeah, yeah. So it was... Um, Really, really cool kind of looking venue, and, and very much done out with the kind of things you see in these old theatres with these kind of um, sculpted like balconies and stuff. Yeah, so it had a really cool looking venue, but was was sort of perfect for for that for that rave. Really, um, it used to be every Friday we we just we get the coach down from Southampton, which was about forty five minutes, and the sort of party would start on the coach. You know, and neck a few beers and everything else, and getting to the club. Um, and then you get on the coach back home at four in the morning and that's when Fabio and Groove Rider show would start um, and then you end up back at a mate's house but yeah back in the day mate a wide-eyed teenager yeah awesome so okay we get to like 2000s I mean you said your the first track you got signed was 2002 was it yeah Came out came out in two thousand two, so it might have been signed to twenty twenty one. Okay, yeah. so like to what extent were you taking the possibility of doing this as a as a job seriously? Like, at what point did that become like a possibility in your own head? I um, shortly after getting into clubs and standing there. I mean, that, once I once I was getting successfully getting into Slinky and going to Slinky quite regularly. Um, We'd, we'd start venturing out, you know, I'd be going to turn meals, I'd be going to the end, I'd be going to fabric, I'd be going to um, uh, Enzo's in Salisbury, I'd be going to squat raves in Southampton with the most weirdest dudes ever. I mean, I, I don't know how I survived some of these parties, but we did. But like mad places, like mad gaffes as a kid going into these uh, events. 
and and I just thought that just was like okay. Hang on, hang on a second. Let me stop you there. Let me stop you there. Let me ask you for something specific. <laughs> yes, that's too vague, man. Give, give me a specific dodgy squat party. Well, well, that you managed I, to survive. I remember going to one once on a new. I think it might have been like two thousand New Year's Eve with a girlfriend at the time. Her dad, Natalie Roden, which we were pretty sure we didn't have any proof. We were pretty sure it was a speed dealer. Um, and we, we we turned up at this kind of big manor house. Can't remember where it was. Um, I just remember being in the back of a car and, and getting there, knocking on the door. Some 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 geezer sort of peers around, and for for, for whatever reason, he, he he lets us all in. So we're with her dad and me, me and her and a couple of my friends, and it's just run down, battered, like spray paint all over the wall, like neon spray paint with like acid faces or whatever, and just looking proper proper rogue, like. Um, as you'd expect a squat party to look. Um, and then be, being kind of wet behind the ears and a bit kind of nervous about being in that environment. It just, I remember just being sort of, I just sort of sat on the floor looking around, like probably smoked a sp- couple of spliffs. Me and my friend had found a, um, a, uh, big old chunk of uh, uh, of like resin on the floor. And we remember, I remember looking up and looking at a, um, at the time what felt like, a, a woman that must have been about seventy years old. She, she may have been younger, but at the t- at the time, I thought she was around seventy years old. She was selling pills from a wallpaper table and bottles of water in the middle of this like lounge, <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> what the fuck is happening here? You know, it was nuts. But yeah, that was that's, that's just one of the times I've, uh, I've there's been some been some mad ones. Um, but but in amongst all that that environment going to clubs and kind of feeling like this is a sort of thing I want to be involved in and play just watching the DJs playing captivating people's audiences and captivating people's kind of mood and transforming kind of people's uh state of mind I guess um I was like I I I need to be doing this I think I can do it I think I'm good enough um don't forget throughout all this period of me going to clubs from 14 onwards I had some crappy little belt drive turntables at home. So I was buying records, I was mixing and I was, you know, you're only really mixing, you're in front of your mates and stuff or at house parties. But I, I thought I could put some records together and um, I just kept, I practiced every single day and I mixed every single day on vinyl. And I, I got to a point where I was like, this this is kind of, this is just what I want to do. You know, at that point I was, I was no one. I was playing to, if I played out, I'd be playing to 10 people in a house party or something. And then, you know that progressed that progressed onto buying equipment and trying to make music. But um, what I would say is, for, between two thousand and two to two thousand and ten, um, maybe two thousand and eight, I was still um, e- even when I started progressing as a DJ and getting booked to do some parties and started playing out and becoming a bit of a local DJ and, and a, f- a few tour dates i was working all the time at a, a kind of wealth insurance or life insurance company and that salary was paying for my records and paying for me to go out and stuff um, and i basically got to a point where i remember being like going into work and colleagues would be like i heard you had a track played on pete tong on a, on the essential selection or whatever and i'd be like yeah wicked isn't it and i was like thinking that's really cool that i'm people are starting to hear that and I'm just doing a normal office job and people are hearing me my music in the car on the way home from work or whatever and I started getting a few more shows to the point where when I when I could when I could see that my 
salary was being matched by what I could bring in as a DJ by taking a few gigs here and there. Um, that's when I decided to just jump for it and go for it and be like, right, I'm just going to make music and try and do DJ in full time. And it, I mean, there's obviously the big. What year was that? Probably around. That you made it probably around about 2000 and. 10 i think i left full-time work 2010 so there's a period of 2002 from the first record to 2010 those eight years i was working to become where i'm getting a, a full-time music um but yeah it took eight years until i left work so that's when they say no shortcuts and we are now 2023 it feels like forever ago it's 20 22 years ago but so and you you released a lot in that in that period, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was putting out music a lot, very very regular. Yeah. When did you first put out? When did you first release on drum codes? Two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. Um, drum drum code fifty six. Okay, so I mean that that was my perception of you without paying too much attention at that point to techno generally. I always had in my head that you were a drum code guy. It, I mean, well, I. I'm not sure how, to what extent that was a fair assessment of you. But I mean, how did you get involved with Adam and, and all that in the first place? Um, so around about that kind of 2010 period, um, dates are a little bit hazy now. But yeah, I remember, I'm, I know it was 2010 that I left work because my first child was born in on March 2010. And I remember saying to my wife, Gaynor, um, I'm leaving my job. And I'm going to become full-time DJing. And I think he was like two months old. And she was like, what are you fucking talking about? Like, you've got... Yeah, I mean, not not that she didn't support that. I mean, it was more like, is this not... Is this quite the right time to give that... Like, to do that? Like, you know, but but it worked. It was fine. And we've never looked back. But yeah, so it was was definitely 2010 um, that that, that that I left work. But the drum code stuff with Adam and, and, and that kind of um, affiliation with him had come a couple of years before that. Um, so around 2007, uh, 2006, 2007, I started, I did a couple of records on Bedrock um, and I obviously was working with John Digweed, releasing some music uh, on Bedrock and I'd met um, a guy called Rob Howarth who was back then was... Um, working for club class, working with Nick Fanciulli and Serge and these guys. Um, for whatever reason, club class had, had split and they'd all sort of done the start to do their own thing, different management companies and everything else. And he started to work with me in, in a sort of management capacity and his um, colleague was Jeremy Ford, Joe Ford, who's obviously big techno DJ back in the day anyway and, and Adam's best friend and also Adam's manager. So... Um, it sort of came about through through those connections, and then I basically had given Jeremy and Adam some of my demos, and 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 they they grabbed them straight away. Um, and this was a sort of the golden age of sort of drum code becoming where it was is now really, because basically drum code had stopped releasing for a little while. Basically, drum code was releasing. When, you know, the original drum code stuff was quite when Marco Carolla was releasing on the label and Carrie Leckerbush, Joel Moore, Adam Bayer, um, even Eric Prids and stuff. But, yeah, it was very different yeah, back then. It's all it? that, that kind of loopy yeah. tribal 140 plus, but like just, you know, everyone was playing that stuff back then. That's what sort of techno was sort of them really um, with that stuff. And then when the whole minimal wave exploded and Minus started doing the kind of plinky plonky stuff um, and 
yeah, when when that all <laughs> yep. blew up, um, Drumco sort of weren't into that. Adam wasn't into that, so just didn't really release anything. Went on a bit of a hiatus, and had come back with a with a release from me, a Joey Beltram release, uh, which I think was the one either before or after mine. Um, and shortly after Adam had signed me, he'd signed Joseph Capriati. So we, for for a little while on the scene, from that sort of 2010 through to 2013, 14, it was like the trio. We would play a lot of shows together all the time with with, with Adam headlining and me and Joseph supporting um, uh, with, with, with kind of Joel Mole and some of the other guys back then, Per Grimvik and Alexi Delano, some of these guys, all the, all the original Swedes really. And then me and Joseph kind of were similar, we, we were a similar age and we both were kind of young kids really and um, and touring with drum code and doing all that. And that's when we started, we were doing the drum code totals twice a year at Berghain and drum code was much more of a kind of different techno label to what it is now. It's now a massive brand and a kind of, um, the, the music style's changed, which which it has, but, but but it's much more of a brand now when it was just a label, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and as you said, like your entry into it was basically, I think, like the start of them building that up in the way that they did, right? Because it was definitely a yeah. I mean, I was one of the first people on the label to sort of put you know tracks out that had sort of breakdowns to a degree or had a kind of vocal building up or had some sort of different element to what what sort of coined the phrase kind of peak time techno you know that that the sort of music that we were p- putting out at the time that, that I was sort of pushing to drum code and Joseph doing the same oh, thing right so, so it's your fault it. is it or, 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 <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I, I don't. I, I sort of feel that, like, I sort of feel like a lot of the music you hear now, it's hard to sort of discuss because people, you don't want to sort of sound like you're calling yourself a kind of pioneer or purveyor of stuff. But the the the, the peak time sound of techno that you kind of loosely still hear now, we were the start. We were we started. No, I think you're absolutely that, right. Yeah, we were I hundred percent, hundred percent agree with that. Before anyone else was doing that, like when I dropped tracks like Skexis and For an Endless Night and some of these tracks on Drum Code, that that was unheard of. It just didn't happen, you know. And some people didn't like it at the time. Some people loved it, but it sort of caused this wave. And that is the sort of techno sound that you hear now from from Drum Code or from big main stage kind of uh, acts that are playing this more commercialised mainstream techno. That sound originated from when we started doing that on Drum Code. Um, and obviously, you've like it's a different sound to kind of your, your, your sort of Bergheim sound or your kind of um, Oscar-y sound or your more kind of Berlin Rodhad vibe mm-hmm. sounds, which is all amazing, proper techno. But th- this stuff was that, that sort of elements of that and also elements of this kind of big room. Yeah, yeah 100%. You know? 100%. Um, because, I mean, like... And I, that, that still exists now, but I do think we started it. Yeah, sure. I mean, like, the, the context, you know, as, as you were saying, was that... It was coming out of this kind of minimal thing, which had just kind of eaten everything, and like the Burkine sound sort of came out, I guess, sort of parallel to that, the kind of evolution of that drum code thing. It was a bit different, but it was still uh, a sort of reaction against minimal. Very drum. similar sort of time. You're right. I think the, the kind of the the, the Burkine sound or the kind of Oscar sound. Um, was was very much in conjunction with the drum code sound, and we were playing both. So if I was, my DJ sets would have stuff, you know, 
I might be playing Sub Zero by Ben Clock or whatever, and then going into something else. It was all that that kind of same period. But that you're right, they were very different, but they were also accessible to each other. And those guys were playing some of our stuff as well. And then naturally, over the time, it sort of split, and it, you had like that being the more traditionalist sound, or the more what you would class even like you know, more modular based or more what whatever. It's it's very it's very different to the kind of big room synth sawtooth reese bass sounding drops and vocals and build up snares and whatever else you know it kind of they split over time it evolved into something else but back then it was a bit more they were they were a bit closer together and you're right they came out at the same sort of time and it was all out of the kind of pushback from the whole minimal stuff yeah absolutely and i think funnily enough now what seems to be happening is that the sort of but the Burkheim thing, or, or rather, yeah, what we were talking about at the, at the top, you know, with this kind of like mad hard sound, which, you know, <laughs> we are collectively scratching our heads over. Like, it's almost like those two things have kind of come back together. You know, I think like that kind of the traditional Burkheim dubby techno thing seems to have just kind of faded away to a large extent and certainly the slower end of it because i mean that stuff yeah, was all like yeah. 126 127 bpm and like that's that just doesn't exist now pretty much you know i mean obviously you know, there are pockets of- i mean I, I i listened to some of my dj sets from 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 bergheim um that I, i've got you know, back in the day and, and you know, i probably wouldn't go over 130 130 you were like going quite you yeah were, hammer you and were, tongs you right? picking the pace up yeah. quite a bit you know if you yeah, yeah, you'd be like if you're like you're, you'll be playing like one, two, four, one, two, five, and I remember I remember specific times where I'd be playing. It might be like four in the afternoon on a Sunday, and I'm you know playing Berghain, and Adam's going to close after for like a 12, 14 hour set or whatever. And if he was seeing me at like one, three, two, he'd be like, "Man, he's up." <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, and that's that was like normal to be like because uh, because that happens. You sort of you, you know what it's like, and you just, you end up doing your own thing. And t- it's the only place in the world where I play, or I don't get to play it anymore for whatever reason, just due to kind of I guess my profile or whatever. Just face doesn't fit in terms of that sound at the moment, which is fair enough. But it's the only place that you time seems to just kind of. Four hours can go yeah. like five minutes. No, it's, it's true. Mad. It's true. Um, it seems seems to shoot by. But 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 also in, in what we we're saying at the start in terms of things being harder and faster. If you look at their lineups now, they're booking a lot of these people that are playing one fifty. Um, so it almost there's no room for the for the other guys so much anymore either because, um, you know, some of the original people that would be playing there wouldn't be playing at that sort of speed and, and, and wouldn't even entertain that sort of stuff and, and probably wouldn't want to just do that to, for the sake of getting the book in. Yeah, know? absolutely. I mean, one thing I was going to mention actually at the top, which I didn't, but it makes sense to say now, is that like there are, there are definitely, I mean, there are people who have like <laughs> bent their sounds to fit, right? I mean, you, you did kind of touch on this actually earlier, but basically it's it's easy to be cynical and i try not to be but when you see people who are making such like massive sonic departures from stuff that they've done before which which i you know i mean i'm not going to name any names here but like there's definitely people who i thought were great and now i see what they're playing i'm like what fucking hell man it's so difficult for me and i'm i really yeah no yeah i really try not to be just like a sort of bitter old man about it but like it's tough because like like you said at the start, the music that's big now has been big before, uh, certainly a version of it, a very similar version of it, right? 
and having seen it before and not liked it back then and thought it was shit back then and still think it's shit now right it's so hard not to like watch people kind of adapting to it and, and not think well you're just doing that to protect your position in the kind of hierarchy of DJs, right? It's so, I don't know, that, that's my instinct anyway. Yeah, I mean, no, I totally agree. I, we see, see see that quite a lot. I mean, yeah, like Ben, ben shape-shifting into kind of staying relevant. It's going back to that point of feeling like you've got to compete and stay, and stay relevant. And you're right, there's, there's, there's a... There's a lot of artists. There's probably, there's probably people could say it about all of us, but there's a lot of artists that, um, you know, we, we, we go in and out of favour in terms of, um, you know, liking their music or not liking what they're doing now. But some people go way off the boil and end up being really credible and write, writing really good music that is inspiring to, 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 to listeners and producers alike to then making stuff that you think, like, you know that's not good. You know, you're not... For, I know what you, I know. I know. I know what you used to make, and I know from you from you making that that you have an ear for some really good stuff, and you know that that tune is shit, and you're putting that out because it's current, and 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 that's that's quite sad because I do think that you can look back on these, and we've all had a couple of shockers. Don't get me wrong. I, there's there's a lot of music that I I, I could look back on some of my catalogue and be like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll try and bury that one because it happens sometimes. That does happen. Um, and and also happens when you at, at that time you might have thought it was wicked, but sometimes you, you grow out of it as you always do. But but making stuff to just be still in 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 the same kind of playground as everyone else is 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 dangerous. Um, you know, I, I'm a, obviously I'm a, like you. I'm a huge Prince and Bowie fan, and I've I've got them tattooed on my body, the portraits of my Prince and Bowie stuff all over my studio, and you know, Bowie would have always said, like, you, you never make music to please someone else. Do you know what I mean? Because you you will do your worst. You will do your, your worst creations and your, your worst art will come out if you're making stuff to please someone else and not please yourself. Yeah, yeah. And at some point, you know, we just have to hope that, that, that sometimes that these people that do this stuff will look back one day and be like, yeah, I shouldn't have really done that. Because in, in our world, you put out a shocker, it's out and it's always <laughs> yeah, going to be out away. and more often than not more often than not um it will be the one that's on the top of your um profile on your spotify's or whatever else because it's probably the most commercial one and the one that everyone wants to kind of play so you can't yeah. ever get away from right. it you know start one of those things so you've got to tread carefully really. yeah totally okay so ultimately you moved on from drum codes so was that a, like was it a conscious decision to to split was it something that just happened gradually like i mean was it something that you like did you feel that you were too associated with that name at any point like tell me tell me about that um i think it's a combination of a few things i think i mean i still do a few drum code shows i'm still very kind of close with all the guys i just think over time um I mean, I looked up to, I still look up to Adam quite a lot, regardless of wherever people are in their career. I think he, he, he was, I sort of cut my teeth touring with those guys and um, I owe them a, a, a lot. And also I consider them all lifelong friends and we all still speak. We all still chat all the time. And as I say, I do still do shows with them and stuff. But I think the kind of, the disassociation to a degree was, was um, a bit more of a natural 
thing when you wanted to start when I wanted to start and have my own legacy to a degree and have my own drum code if that made sense and my own thing to kind of nurture and and grow and when I started we are the brave it was it was a bit more of a decision to be like look you know we can coexist and I'll still do shows with you as and when you require me or, or ask me to do shows and, and and in between that time I'm going to try and grow my own brand and my my own thing that I can kind of maybe do what he had done for me for, for other artists and stuff and, and kind of uh, have something that I could look back on as my own kind of legacy and, and, and not not necessarily feel like you want to always be in someone's shadow. You want to break away and, and have your own thing, you know. Um, I, I, I just think that with with me with me doing that, there was always naturally a bit of a, um, okay, I'm going to do this show over that show or I'm going to kind of push some of this and instead of that because you're kind of trying to grow, get your own thing yeah. off the ground sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And... Um... I think being able to be being able to be in a position to uh, be to other people, you know, do do to other people what the, the the good things that you've experienced yourself is extremely gratifying. I mean, I definitely feel that with doing Hot Flush, and it's a, a really big motivating factor for actually do, doing a label. You know, like obviously it's great to be able to put out your own stuff and you know have control of that stuff, but being able to like you know look for look for people who have got talent and help them realize that into something tangible and something lasting i think is for me anyway is extremely uh it's one of the things i enjoy the most actually about the whole thing i think that's the best thing about running a label is exactly what you said there like there, there will never be a time where i'm not excited to to push new music and 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 when you find or you get sent a demo or you find a track or you've sourced something out or you've you stumbled across something and you, you you get this urge to be like right I need to get this in front of people and I'm going to try and do that for you and I need to kind of sh- exploit you to in, in a good sense to, to people so that they can hear your experience your music you know what I mean that's the best thing about running the label because we all know it's not for money you know what I mean like <laughs> the labels probably cost as much to run as they do to to what they get back but it, it's 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 that feeling of giving something back to uh, either aspiring artists or to the music community that you are behind something um, and pushing it in, in, in the sense that you you enjoy it and you want to share it and you want to help someone um, kind of get into the, 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 the same, get the same out of it as, as you, or you're giving them the same experience as you're getting out of it yourself yeah. by pushing their music. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, when did you start We Are The Brave? What year was it? 2016, yeah. So we are seven years old this this August, I think. Was the first release that massive one? <laughs> first no. release was the one we don't speak about. Yeah. <laughs> no, the first release was we do, was we do, was was we do was we do what we want. Yeah, which is my. Is that what you were referring to when you said you? It's, I always <laughs> I class that as my shocker. Yeah, yeah. Are you it's really? Like you, create okay. a, you you create a monster and. But at the time, at the time, it was a it was a big summer track. I mean, I, was, I had fun with it at the time. It but was man. It took it, over. It, yeah. It, it, it's just, but it's one of those tunes that that's the one everyone always wants, especially on the, the sort of younger people in the scene. And that's that's the track that there's, there's so many people because that track was so big, um, and. I mean, 
bigger than I'd experienced in the past of any of my other tracks. When I say big, I don't. It wasn't picked up by a major and put on. It wasn't an LF system on that, that knocked fucking Drake off number one. It's not that big, but it was. It was like a big for me where it was kind of yeah. No, it's a huge solitude, man. It really was. Yeah, it was just everywhere. Yeah, I mean, it's 100%. upwards of 20, 25 million streams, whatever is still now, and and you know, on match of the day and on the calf in EastEnders and whatever else. You know, it was a big tune, but it's also. It, it, you get a new fan base with music like that, right? So when you get a new fan base, some people don't know me before that track. And the frustrating thing is I've got, as I've just been telling you, there's, there's 14 years before that. Um, and all the history that me and you have just discussed, even with the drum code stuff, everything else, and you know, being a kind of Bergheim resident and, and, and all this other stuff, it is completely overshadowed by the fact that people know you for that track or whatever else you've done beyond that. Do you know what I mean? And it, and it, and it, and it sometimes, and it, which you can't get away from, you know, because it's, because it's, because music's generational, you know, it, it's, it's not something you can get away from, but, um, it, it, I find it frustrating at times, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to say anything bad about it because ultimately that has, done you know masses for my for my career and put me on whatever platforms and also you know helping we are the brave get where it is and stuff you know i, I owe a lot to it but it is it, it's 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 one it's one notch on a, on a very very busy scorecard of of of, of, of tracks do you know what i mean yeah um, sure i mean it does it does affect people's perception of you you're right because i mean yeah, I, I mentioned at the top when I was, you know, listening to the new one this week. I don't know what I expected, but I didn't expect it to sound like that. You know, and I was just like, yeah, this is fucking brilliant. Well, the, weird, the weird thing is that the, the 100, the one we just mentioned, the one that's basically coming out imminently, is is more is more me than number one. You know, it, it, it's more my that that that's more my identity than than, than number one. Um, but it's just, it's just it's basically just coming back round and you know doing i mean across the 100 releases there's loads of music like 100 you know there's loads of like what we would call proper techno in amongst yeah that yeah catalog. sure of, of sure. course there is but but i just mean if, if you if you listen to to release number one and you listen to release 100 that should give you an indication of uh for, for, for anyone new listening or whatever that would give you an indication of kind of but, but I mean, yeah. yeah what, what what I mean though is that, like, I mean, I know you've released stuff like that in, you know, in between those two tunes. But still, in in the back of my head, I still had that <laughs> had that track for better or for worse. You know, I'm, I was bringing that to the table when I was listening to your promo. That's terrible, isn't it? But you, there's there's no, no but, you know, but you can't that, get away from that. That is what ha- that is what happens. That is what happens. That is what happens, and that is uh, it's also a quest that you know a never ending quest to kind of. Um, I don't know if it's what, what the right word is to convince people or to kind of assure people that there's more about you than that track, if that makes sense. Because you look, mate, I've had some shows where people uh, I've been booked on that track and I've turned up and played more like 100 than I've track one, and people have been like, What? You don't play anything like that tune, he's basically playing underground techno, and I'm and it's like. Anyone, anyone else that's kind of half-educated that all might know them or, or, or know me or know or see me on multiple times before would be like, well, yeah, that's what he plays. He's a techno DJ. That other track's like one, 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 a different one in amongst it all. But, you know, trying to um, 
squash the perception that, that that's that's just sort of all you do with new fans is, is, is a very difficult one because kind of um you know they are only knowing you for those those true those tunes really so it's quite hard to kind of um do do your thing sometimes when you're you, you people say you create a monster you know you create a monster but, um... Yeah. So actually, let me let me hand it. Let me. Something just occurred to me just then because you know, we were talking before about, uh, you know, the the like the, the circuit and how it re- rewards you doing more and the kind of the kind of psychological pressure that you put yourself under. We all put ourselves under to kind of maintain, right? And how is having a tune that big? How does having having a tune that big, like? translate into that side of things right i mean did you feel pressure to follow it up with something equally big like what was the like sort of mental gymnastics that you had to go through to kind of you know, reach a point where you could kind of just step back from it i i think i had the like the opposite i think i had um like when, when that tune really kind of blew up and it's kind of made the kind of impact that it made i was almost like recoiled a bit <laughs> i was like i'm gonna come back come back with something that's kind of underground as fuck um to try and counteract it to a degree um because it, it 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 did it does did panic me you know in the sense of, of like oh no i don't want to um i don't want to go too much down that that route because i don't want to kind of dilute what i'm about do you know what i mean so you end up kind of uh yeah, reevaluating things a little bit and, and, and wanting to make sure that, you know, I, I think the thing with it all as well is it's another thing that kind of plays into this kind of um, mentality of trying things out and, and, and not being afraid to, um, to do something a little bit different. It also plays into this competitiveness about being relevant and stuff now because, you know, if you, you don't necessarily want to feel pigeonholed into only writing what... Um, you can write um you you want to be able to kind of experiment and, and make music that you're that you're feeling but if it's not something that kind of falls into the same pattern that you've been writing over the last however many releases you've done you start to panic and think the so people think you're this now or that now you know it's a difficult one or you might go down a different path and end up going to do more sort of big commercial shows and then you you kind of lose um the ability to do to do other stuff I, I, i'm a firm believer that when we do what we want and stuff like that blew up and it was great for my career but it definitely hindered me in terms of doing a lot of other shows you know i, I, I i'm not not playing burkines and these kind of stuff that i used to because um you're naturally a, an artist that's almost too big or too too mainstream or too commercial whatever you want to call it for their kind of clientele or remit now do you know what i mean um so the uh, but that happens you know that happens uh, across the board but yeah I think and I don't attribute it just specifically to that it could be a number of factors but you become you outgrow certain things you become a certain level that you end up you, you some things kind of take a hit okay so it's been good I've got one more question which I've never actually asked anyone before so what's your favourite ever DJ set um, of my own yeah. Um, well, give me, give me like two or three. If it is, you don't want to pick one. One of my favourite ever sets was uh, I don't know the date, can't remember the date. But it was a hideout back to back with Scream. Uh, he was supposed to play before me, or I was supposed to play before him. Can't remember, but we ended up 
just combining the sets and playing kind of four or five hours together um, from middle of the night to like eight in the morning or whenever it was the sun come up. And it just kind of, it's just one of those where the, 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 the setting, the music, the atmosphere and the kind of euphoric feeling between everyone was all, all bang on. And it was just, it was just, will go down in one of my favorite memories of, of, of DJ experiences. That was amazing. Um, I think playing the Arcadia stage at Glastonbury to about sixty thousand people, right? Yeah, before Carl Cox, yeah, was was insane. Um, the mad thing about that experience was you're only allowed up there on your own because of the pyrotechnics and stuff in this in this kind of giant spider head. You're not allowed anyone up there other than you and the kind of geezer that's controlling the pyro and stuff. Uh, and because of the lighting show that goes on in that while you're playing, you can't, can't really see a great deal out. Um, so the videos after and, and everything else kind of highlighted how, how cool that was. But I was just in my own world playing, and you know, but the experience was, was, was really good just to be at Glastonbury and to, to play to that many people. Um, uh, that and, and my third one, uh, I mean, I could keep naming them now that I've started because I start to come into your head, but... Bergheim is always a special place for me. Playing the, the sort of drum code totals, twenty twelve, um, uh, you know, getting to play one of the the later sets there um, was incredible. Um, and Mandarin Park, probably in um, in Argentina, uh, one of my favourite places to play. One of the best crowds in the world. Oh, I don't know that. Is that in Buenos Aires? Yeah, it's huge, man. It's like a big big park, but yes, yeah, I mean. It, capacity wise is 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 insane somewhere about 10 plus maybe bigger um but yeah it's incredible um yes some some big highlights man i've been blessed to play so many places and so many over so many years that you know one day when i sit down and think about it or do some sort of memoirs i'll be able to reminisce to it all but yeah i guess mad in it is still living it now so you sort of get caught up in it and just doing your thing but um I've definitely got some 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 fond fondness to look back on when I eventually decide to just sit uh, by a lake and go go fishing, yeah, and think about how mad everything used to be, yeah. Nice one. Well, listen, mate. Thanks for doing this. It's been great. Really enjoyed it. Ah, uh, my pleasure, man. It's been nice to chat. Yeah, that was Alan Fitzpatrick. Great conversation. He's such a nice bloke. He really is. <laughs> Genuinely is one of the good guys of the circuit, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Great DJ, great producer. I love his new record. I didn't mean to say, I didn't mean to sound like I was surprised by the fact that I loved his new record. I did a little bit, didn't I? But I didn't mean to sound surprised. It's just, well, as we said, you know, the baggage of having an enormous record like that, it just sticks with you. It sticks with people's perceptions of you. Wow. I've never had a tune that big, unfortunately. But, you know, whatever. Maybe it will happen. It could still happen, right? <laughs> it's possible. Okay, we're done here. If you want to support the show, do so on Patreon, patreon.com slash scuba official. We'd be extremely grateful if you were to do that. Honestly, it'd be really, really nice of you. And there's good stuff on there as well. It's not just giving us money. There's extra shit that you get as a result of that. So yeah, please do that. If you can't, then leave us a review or a rating. That also helps. Hit the five-star button wherever you're listening to this podcast. Follow the Spotify playlist. There's a link in the show notes to that playlist. And join us in the Discord server. Hotflushrecordings.com slash Discord. And I'll see you back here, same time, same place next week for the next episode of the Not A Diving Podcast. Thank you. Thank you.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 